Welcome to today's teaching service. You're listening to the First Century Apostolic Church FCAC Temagana. We preach, teach, and live the complete and unadulterated Word of God with genuine miracles, signs, and wonders taking place at every meeting with the Holy Spirit. Our aim is to follow in the steps of the apostles and disciples of the First Century Church founded by our Lord Jesus. Prepare yourselves, therefore, for a powerful encounter with the Word and power of God brought to you by Reverend Dr. V.C.Y. Edwards, the General Overseer of FCAC. He is a seasoned man of God who is blessed with a powerful teaching and deliverance ministry. I encourage you, therefore, to join us every Tuesday at our teaching services at 7 p.m. prompt. You will be truly blessed. God bless you as you join us in the service. Hallelujah. Beloved, we are still in the post-resurrection period. About a couple of weeks ago, we, we celebrated the anniversary, the remembrance of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And as we all know, after his resurrection, he showed himself to many people over a period of 40 days. For 40 days, he revealed and showed himself to many so that these will be witnesses. They all will be witnesses to his resurrection. So between the time of his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, 40 days, that is the post-resurrection and the pre-ascension period. And we look, therefore, again at a different or another aspect of the resurrection of Jesus. And this evening, we're going to look at those who deny, we're going to examine the denial of Christ's resurrection. Last week, we looked at the proclaimed resurrection of Christ, how we proclaim it, in that it is true. But there are others who deny it. There are others who don't believe it. And this evening we are going to look at the denial of Christ's resurrection. Denial. Now, it happened that because it was something that never happened, the denial, that means to say that the resurrection did not take place. But because it took place and that the denial is false, there is no scripture to support it. Therefore, we have no scripture for tonight. There is no scripture. So, for our text, you can write none. N-O-N-E. The title is Denial of Christ's Resurrection. And for the text or the scripture, write none. N-O-N-E. There's no scripture that supports this, what we're going to say tonight. Beloved, the denial of those who deny, those who don't believe, those who try to shoot down 
this great fact, the great fact is a great fact, it's a mighty fact of the resurrection has always denial of the resurrection of Jesus has always come from the enemies of Christianity. And there are many who are enemies of Christianity, both physical or natural, and of course, spiritual. Enemies of Christ, and therefore enemies of Christianity. And that's why there's no scripture to substantiate, to support their denial, because scripture comes from God. And God is saying that Jesus rose from the dead. So God will not give any scripture that will be contrary to what he's saying. So there's no scripture that substantiates or supports the denial of the resurrection. This is not surprising. The fact that the denial of the resurrection comes from the enemies of Christianity, whether natural or physical or spiritual, it's not surprising. It is not surprising at all because you don't expect your enemy to support you. Your enemy always wants to destroy you. And the fact is that Christianity, Christ, the worship of God, stand or fall with the resurrection. In other words, if the resurrection took place, if and indeed the resurrection took place, it means therefore that Christianity, the worship of God, is true, is valid, is solid. So we say that Christianity or the worship of God through Jesus Christ stands or falls depending on what on whether the resurrection is true or false. If the resurrection took place, then the worship of God through Jesus Christ is valid. It's true. But if the resurrection is false, fake, or did not take place, then as we read last week, then of all men, Christians are the most pitiable because then it means that our sins still remain. It means that we have no salvation. It means that our worship of God is in vain. So we say that as a matter of fact, principle, Christianity stands if the resurrection stands. The worship of God through Christ falls if the resurrection is false. Amen. Now, the proofs, proofs of the fact of the resurrection abound. They abound. Proofs of the fact are most weighty. Proofs of the fact of the resurrection are weighty. They abound. They are clear. They are clear. But 
despite the fact that the proof proofs are undeniable they still fail to convince the unbelievers the facts or the proofs of the resurrection are so many they are they are clearly undeniable and yet they fail to convince they fail to convince the unbelievers unbelievers don't accept this and church let us note if you listen to me Newboy Town, Tessin, Michelle Camp, wherever, social media, any part in the world, remember, anyone who refuses to accept Jesus as his or her personal savior, anyone, doesn't matter where you are, who you are, once you refuse to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and savior, you are directly or indirectly denying the facts of the resurrection. Because if you believe, if you accept that the resurrection took place, then it follows that since there's no other religion in this world, there's no other religion in history or in the future, whereby their leader is God himself. The leader and the founder of the religion is God himself. And therefore, that is the only leader who died and came back to life. No other religion claims their leader to be God who died and came back to life. But once you believe this, then automatically... You must have faith in Jesus and you must be a believer. Otherwise, then you are not. So, denial of the facts or the proof of the resurrection is a denial of Jesus, a denial of Christianity, and therefore you make your enemy, you make yourself, sorry, an enemy of Christianity. And therefore, what I'm saying this evening is that all unbelievers, all unbelievers, knowingly or unknowingly, make themselves enemies of Christianity. And that is a fact. And therefore, it is not surprising that they fail to be convinced. They fail to be convinced of the fact of the resurrection. Because, see, the unbeliever. The difference between you, I, and the unbeliever is that the unbeliever does not appreciate the great realities of sin and salvation. The position of sin and righteousness, the position of hell and heaven, the position of the worship, true worship of God and mere existence as a human being to the unbeliever is blurred. It is not sharp. There's no, no difference. There's no distinction. The unbeliever does not distinguish 
clearly between sin and righteousness. The unbeliever has what we call a seared conscience. The unbeliever's mind, the conscience, does not truly appreciate the sharp difference between sin and righteousness and therefore between hell as punishment for sin and heaven as a reward for righteousness and therefore the unbeliever is not convinced because he doesn't see the difference his conscience her conscience is seared seared and there are many who are in churches who claim to be to be in churches they are in churches for the mere fact that they are in a church but they are not practicing christians they are not living the bible they are not obeying jesus they claim to love jesus but they don't love him because they don't obey him jesus said if you love me obey my commandments they will say with their mouth that they love jesus but their actions prove that they don't love jesus because they don't obey him and these are the carnal christians if one may call them christians at all they are carnal christians they are not spiritual christians we have natural christians and we have not we have carnal christians natural christians don't care a hoot carnal christians know but they just refuse to obey the commandments spiritual christians are those who love god who love jesus and they obey his commandments may we all be spiritual christian church may you in particular be a spiritual christian remember jesus said that unless one is born of water and the spirit you cannot enter into the kingdom of god unless you are born of the spirit what is born of flesh is flesh flesh is flesh but what is born of spirit god is spirit that when you're born again and everything becomes new, old has passed away, you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, everything else has become new. So unless one is born of God, not of the will of man, not of the will of flesh, but of God, that person is still, is still in the flesh and that one cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But may we all enter into the kingdom of God, church. And if you're watching me, listen to me, wherever you are on the face of this earth, remember what you are hearing tonight are the basic facts of life. This is life. This is life. If we didn't believe it before, believe it from tonight or from today. If we didn't know it before, know it from tonight, know it from today. And it might just save your life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just say amen. amen. Clap your hand for Jesus. The resurrection, however, is of great value in defending the Christian faith. The resurrection is of great value when it comes to defending whom we believe in, our faith, the resurrection is a foundational pillar of our faith. 
And it's also a sort of comfort for the believer. Everyone in this life needs some kind of comfort because life is all up and down. Life is is um, traumatic. Life is um, unpredictable. Good things happening, bad things happening. And everybody needs a comforter. Somebody who can whisper in his ears or her ears that be comforted, my son, be comforted, my daughter. Do not be anxious. Do not be afraid. For I have overcome the world. We all need a comforter. And the resurrection of Jesus forms a very strong basis for, of comfort for the believer. For those who deny the resurrection and therefore Christ, it is the credibility it is the credibility of the witnesses versus the difficulties of denial that might be looked at objectively. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that those who don't believe in Jesus, the ones who don't believe in that, don't believe that he, he rose again. If you don't believe in Jesus, what you are saying is that you don't believe that he rose again for the dead. Because if he rose again for the dead, the greatest miracle of all time, that you might have to believe in him. So, they put forward their arguments. They have their arguments for not believing in Jesus and therefore not believing in the resurrection of Jesus. They have their arguments. They have their reasons for not believing. And their, their, belie- their reasons stand versus the witnesses those who witness the resurrection and the post and therefore the post ascension era in which we are now you see if Christ had not resurrected that means that he is still dead it means that he is still dead in which case then there was no ascension there was no ascension if he did not rise again from the dead, that means that he's still dead. It means that the promise that he had made to you and to me, that we shall also rise with him, those promises are fake. They are false. They are false. So, we have witnesses. We have reasons. We have points on which we stand to argue in favor of the resurrection and therefore of worship of God through Jesus Christ. And our points or our reasons are versus, they are like at war against the reasons put forward by those who deny the resurrection. And that's what we're looking at. We're not going to look at their reasons because we are not students of their reasons. You see, we are not students of the thing that they say. Uh, and we are not interested in them. 
doesn't matter what reason they put forward, what argument they, they argue with, what, what they say. We are not interested because we look at what we know. We look at what we know. And what we know to us is enough for us. And we know that it's also enough for them if only they'll be objective and look at it from a neutral point of view and not take take uh, sort of an opposing position right from the start, but look at it objectively. Then we look at the reason why we believe. Bible says that Jesus rose again. They should listen. And at the end of the, there are many reasons, but I've only said about five or six. Many reasons. Now, the difficult, the difficulties, the problems with their arguments, the problems with those who don't believe in Jesus, difficulties with their arguments are found in the following. You see, their arguments are difficult to, to put forward. You know, there are some arguments that when you are arguing those, you can see that your argument has no foundation. It's flimsy. Your argument is, hasn't, doesn't carry any weight. And yet, you still think that you must argue for argument's sake. But we argue based on what we know. Based on what those who witnessed everything saw and has passed it down to us through the word of God. God's word. God caused it to be written down and passed it down to us. Plus our own experiences, our own present, current experiences that affirm, that give credence, credibility to what the witnesses are saying. And with this, no one should be able to tell me anything else. Now, how then do you explain the empty tomb? The empty grave? If there was no resurrection, the first point, how does one explain away the tomb where they laid Jesus and was found to be empty? And they did not just lay his body there and go home. They didn't play the body there and go home. But the skeptics, the enemies of Christ, made sure that they posted soldiers, they posted guards, sentries at the tomb to ensure that no one will come and take the body away and claim that he had resurrected. So, in trying to keep Jesus dead, in trying to keep him in the tomb, they gave us a very solid point for argument. So there were soldiers there. A stone rolled at the door of the tomb. A stone, a heavy stone, rolled to, to close the tomb, the grave. And there were soldiers there. Not civilians, soldiers there. And their instruction was that they must not allow anyone into the tomb. And they made sure that no one entered. And yet, the tomb was found to be empty. The soldiers, when they said, oh, we didn't sleep. We didn't even go to the washroom. We didn't go anywhere. 
we were, were standing guard. So the Pharisees and the scribes get their money. They get their money. They get the soldiers' money. So they will go and say, that, oh, uh, the body was taken away. Praise the Lord. So, the tomb, the empty tomb, is the number one proof that Jesus rose again from the dead. So, we said that the, the impossibility of explaining the empty grave or tomb, except upon the fact that the resurrection actually took place. It happened. Empty tomb is proof that the resurrection took place. Now, when the enemies of Christ saw that the tomb was empty, they saw that the body had been, they knew that the body had resurrected. They knew it. They knew. But the soldier said it. The confusion, their confusion and their desperation <laughs> after the resurrection proved that they knew what had happened. They were confused. They were desperate. Because what they feared might happen, what they, what they did everything to stop from taking place, is just what happened. All that we were trying to prevent, the resurrection happened. So they were confused and they were desperate. So the level of their confusion and the level of their desperation are proofs of the fact that the resurrection actually did happen. Number two. Number three. Now, when you look at a sudden transformation, the change that came over the disciples from the hopelessness that they were in to triumphant boldness in faith, you cannot explain this except upon the actual fact that there was a resurrection. You see, when Christ died, took his body from the cross and laid him in the tomb, all hope for the disciples was gone. There was hopelessness. There was weakness. In fact, there was fear. Their leader had been arrested. Their leader had been tortured. Though he could even raise the dead. Though he could open blind eyes. He could make the cripple walk. Though he could, mud, he could create food. Food. Five loaves of bread, two fish. He could create food. He could, he could do creation miracles. And yet, when he was arrested, he was helpless. He appeared to be helpless. They did to him whatever they wanted to do. They spat on him, slapped him, put a crown of thorns on him, whipped him, scourged him, cut him. They bled him. He bled. Finally, he didn't resist it when they nailed him to the cross. They pierced his side with a spear. He died. He died in between two armed robbers. He was numbered amongst the transgressors. Like a common criminal. He died a most disgraceful and humiliating death. And it is human beings 
who took down his body and placed him in the tomb. So, that was it. Finish. So, there was hopelessness. Among the disciples, hopelessness. There was weakness. There was sadness. There was weeping, crying. That was the state in which they were. In the three days in which Jesus died before his before his resurrection but suddenly suddenly all of a sudden there was this sudden change there was this this big change that came over everybody all the disciples and that's why I said that if you are a believer if you profess Christ, you confess Christ, and you claim to be a believer, and you say that what you have resurrected with, you died with Him, and resurrected with Him, and there's no change in your life. We don't see any tangible, any evident change in your life between now and the then. Then your new birth, your new life is suspects who put question marks not only after but even in front of it. There are both question marks in front, question marks be after, on top and even beneath. There has to be that transformational change. There has to be. Otherwise, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is not true. It's not true. So, the sudden and it happened suddenly. The moment they realized that Christ was risen, their leader was, the Messiah was risen, there was this transformation that came over the disciples from a state of hopelessness to a position of triumphant boldness. Now they had boldness, their courage. Now they were not hiding anymore. They came out in faith. And you cannot explain this except upon the fact that the resurrection actually took place. The only explanation that will make sense to me and therefore to you is that something has happened. Something has happened. There has been a turn around. Christ was crucified, died, buried. So, there must be some kind of a reversal back to how the disciples felt when they were with him. When they were with him, they were bold, they were, they were, they were, they were cheerful, they were powerful, they were healing, delivering. So, there must have been a reversal, a change in their fortunes. And that can only happen, that can only be exp explained by the fact that Christ raising back to life. So for all those of you who don't believe, begin to examine these things objectively, not with a biased mind. It didn't end there. It did not end there. It went further. Now, the spread of Christianity in the world, the spread of Christianity in the world, not with a sword, not by force. Christianity 
does not thrive on fear. It didn't spread by the sword. It didn't spread by threats. It didn't spread by, by bribery. In fact, Christianity spread by persecution. Christianity is the only religion that spread by persecution and tribulation, afflictions, trials, and temptations. The early Christians were persecuted. They were persecuted. They were afflicted. They were killed. They suffered. But the more they suffered, the more they were persecuted, the more the faith spread. And at one time, they all had to run away from their homes. They ran away, but as they went about, they preached Christ. Everywhere they went, they preached Christ. They were not running away for nothing, but even as they ran, as they were in retreat, they were even more, more faithful. Therefore, the faith was spreading. And God was with them. God was with them. God was confirming his word. Signs, wonders, and miracles. We know of Philip. Philip was a deacon. Philip wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a, a pastor. He was a deacon in the church in Jerusalem. And when the church was persecuted and they had to run away, he ran to nowhere than to Samaria. And Samaria, as you know, was antichrist. Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews. The Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews and vice versa. The Jews also had nothing to do with the Samaritans. And that's why Jesus gave the parable of the good Samaritan. What that Samaritan did in contrast to the priests, the Jewish priests who passed by this dying man. But the Samaritan who was considered to be a nobody rather saved the life of this man who was wounded by robbers. And this is where Philip went to. And when he got there, he preached Christ. He didn't go there to hide. He didn't go there to do business. He didn't go there to build a new house for himself. He went there to preach Christ. And church, that, that, that is a challenge to all of us as Christians. We are not fleeing. We are not being persecuted. We are not running away. We are free to go wherever we go to. But as you go along, church, preach Christ. Witness about a thing that you know. Tell others that about things that you are you are convinced of. At least I know that each of us, every one of us came to know Jesus through somebody's witnessing or somebody's preaching. That's how we all got to know about Jesus. So just as Philip did, we also, as we go about, tell others about Jesus. Tell others about God through Jesus. And God worked unusual miracles in Samaria. Imagine that. God worked unusual miracles in Samaria. So that signs, wonders, and miracles took place. God was confirming the resurrection. That it is true. He, God, had done it. 
Jesus alive. And all these things happen in the name of Jesus. So that unclean spirits, unclean spirits came out of many, screaming, shouting. For the first time, these spirits were now being cast out. They were being cast out in Samaria. And they came out screaming. And when all those who were in Samaria heard and saw, they turned to God through Christ Jesus. They turned to God through Christ, the Jew, who they didn't like because was a Jew. Now, they turned to God through this same Jesus. Therefore, the fact that Christianity has spread throughout the entire world is again evidence that the power of God is at work here. And that same power that's at work here, at work here is what raised Christ from the dead. Because all these things happen in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of any other name, but in the name of Jesus. When we're doing deliverance, yes, though God is God, we don't say in the name of God or in the name of the Holy Spirit. There's only one name, one name at which every knee bows, even in heaven, in heaven, on the earth, and underneath the earth. And that name is Jesus. And if that name were dead, if it was a dead name, if that name didn't come back to life, how can anyone cast out any demon in that name? In that name. Because see, there are many in churches where no deliverance is done. Some have never seen demons being cast out before. All their childhood and adult life, they are never witnessed the Holy Spirit at work before. They have never seen the power of God through Christ Jesus before. Their church going is ceremonial. Their worship of God is ritualistic. They go through the motions. Go, sing, pray, come home, that is it. They don't see or they have never experienced the power of God at work before. And therefore, these may not have any strong testimony. They don't have any undeniable witness to convince the unbeliever that the resurrection took place. But may we all in SCAC have a very, very strong testimony in the name of Jesus. Clap your two hands for Jesus. So, we saw that the undeniable facts of the Holy Spirit present ministry in the church as promised by Jesus. Jesus promised, the, promised us the Holy Spirit the, prom, the, the promise of the Father. He said he had to go. And after he had gone, he will send the Holy Spirit to be with us to the end. So we are now Right now, we are in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We all are now, both believers, the church, and even unbelievers. Everybody in the world now, everyone in the world, 
In case you know this, in now, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, for us believers, we have the seal. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Every believer must have the Holy Spirit in him or in her. That is your seal. That is your mark. That is the stamp that we are a child of God. When, when we have the Holy Ghost in you, that is your seal. That is your, your identification mark. That is your national ID card. Praise the Lord. Without which you cannot make any calls, you cannot make any money transfer, you cannot, uh, what do they say? You cannot make, you cannot do anything. Praise the Lord. But you see, the Holy Spirit also ministering to the unbelievers. Because he keeps telling them, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The ministry of the Holy Spirit to the unbeliever, to the world, is conviction of sin. So the person who doesn't even believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in God, he knows what is wrong and what is right. Because there's a spirit in man. As long as a person is breathing, is alive, the spirit that gives him life comes from God. And that God is the Holy Spirit. So he is continually, constantly, repeatedly, repeatedly telling him of convicting of sin, of righteousness, what is sinful and what is right, what is righteous. And the father judgment will come. This thing that you are doing that is wrong. One day you face judgment for it, you'll be judged. You face punishment for it. So this is what drives unbelievers to the house of God. This is the driving force that makes unbelievers finally when they yield. When they can't take it anymore, then they, 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 they succumb, then they come. Then you ask him, what brought you here? So I, I just felt like coming to coming to the church, coming to give my life to you. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry. Church, clap your hands for Jesus. This is yet another proof. It's yet another proof. Praise the Lord. And then finally, for today, there are many proofs. Finally, the fact that, you know, presently, the last one happened presently, and now presently, again, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, again, the name of Jesus, if Jesus were dead or was dead, was dead, how can we, how can we receive signs or see signs Wonders, miracles, healings, deliverances. In churches. In the church. Hello? Praise the Lord. Peter and John said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he who had been laid from his mother's womb, who they carried to the, gate, to the entrance of the temple, gate to the temple. They carried there. He was a, he, he a grown-up man to bear for arms. He who had been lame in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he rose up and began to walk. And he followed them to that, into the temple. Bible says, leaping, jumping, and praising God. See, what he couldn't do before? He was lame. Now he could walk. So what, what should he do? Should he go in an armchair? No, he was. What, what 
he was now all that he has not been able to use with his left for the past 38 years. Now he was using his left to do leaping, jumping, and praising God. Amen. Oh, put your hands up for Jesus. And then those who saw him, some said, Oh, it is not the man. Some, some said, It is he. Some said, No, it's not him. Some said, Oh, it's him. There was an argument. But he said, I am he. I'm the one. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, in the name of Jesus, the fact is that we still, we still see, we still have, we still experience, we are able to do, in Jesus' name, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and deliverances in the true house of God. These things do not happen in all churches. They happen only where the Spirit of God is and where the name of Jesus is preached. And where Jesus is, where the Holy Spirit is, where the Father is, we see this thing there. So it's not just God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that Jesus is there. <laughs> now we don't have a, we, don't, we have our Trinity, not three. Three in one, we don't have two in one. It's three in one. So Jesus rose again came back to life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's clap our hands for Jesus. Thank you for participating in this Tuesday evening's teaching service. We believe you have been blessed by the word. You're welcome to visit us at Emma Community 5 of PV or being run about. God bless you and we hope to see you next Tuesday.